You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast determined to use every song from the podcaster's vast library of Styx albums as opening music. episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show, or if you'd like to be more specific, a podcast, dealing with the Green Lantern comics, running from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004. The one thing that's different about this Green Lantern podcast is I'm putting a special emphasis on my two favorite Green Lantern characters, one Mr. Kyle Rayner, and today's subject, Mr. Guy Gardner. My name is Sean Engel, and I'm going to be taking you through these comics, well, specifically this comic this week, which is Green Lantern number 18. And it's a one-shot comic that features Guy Gardner, my favorite Green Lantern, in a story that dovetails in with the breakdown storyline that was going on in the Justice League International. Basically, things weren't going well for the Justice League. There were new members added, the UN was tearing down the Justice League, Maxwell Lord has been shot and was in a coma, and things were just generally going bad. Specifically, things were going bad for Guy Gardner as, well, he'd basically gotten everything that he's ever wanted in his life, you know, to be Green Lantern of Earth, to be a well-known member of the Justice League of America, but all of that really didn't seem to pan out for him. Even though he had all these accolades and, you know, honors by basically the guardians of the universe, essentially omnipotent overseers of the galaxy, people still looked down on him and didn't treat him with any respect. And in this issue, we get Guy examining why all of this is happening to him. Why is he considered a second stringer still, even after he's been appointed Green Lantern of Earth? Why is he constantly being asked to mellow out? And why is his former girlfriend, one Carrie Limbo, wanting him to become the Guy Gardner that he previously was, rather than the Guy Gardner he is now. It's an interesting character study of Guy, and it's another book that I really enjoyed when I was reading it, and I'm really enjoying getting back to reading it again. But speaking of reading, that's a perfect time to do a horrible segue into our mail segment. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> 
And this email comes in from previous writer Stephen J. Rogers, who writes in with the title of the letter saying, Human parrots getting killed in front of kids. And he reminds me that, Sean, one of the most often repeated images in comics history is the final moments of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah, as usual, I forget the obvious, much like the Pagwachi joke from The Watchmen, so I had to write back to Steve and tell him yes. This is a glaring omission on my part. I appreciate Steve being there to fact-check me, because God knows I don't. But he also asked if I was planning on having any guests on, especially since around issue 46 things will start going down and there might be a crossover opportunity with a certain Superman podcaster. Well, again, I wrote him back saying that I'd talked with a couple of people, specifically Thomas DJ of Better in the Dark and Michael Bailey of From Christ to Crisis, and seeing if they'd like to come in and cover a few issues. I've got to get that worked out here in the next few weeks, but hopefully we should be having some guest spots here on the show sometime soon, which I'm certain all of you will be thankful for because it'll limit to the amount of talking that you'll have to listen to from me. And speaking of limiting me talking... Let's listen to some promos before we get into issue number 18 of Green Lantern. Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. On May 30th, 2011, DC Comics announced the historic renumbering of all their superhero titles, and the internet broke in half. Critics and naysayers abounded. Confusion reigned across fandom. 
What'll I do? What'll I do? What an unusual view. Not to mention the first reactions to the Supergirl costume. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths, heaving. But then the books actually hit. And opinions... He likes it! I like it! Opinions began to change. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a monthly podcast where John Wilson, J. David Weider, and Michael Kaiser take a look at each of the adventures of Superman and his family of characters in Action Comics. You know the deal, Metropolis. Treat people right, or expect a visit from me. The Superman who appeared six months ago could hurdle skyscrapers and toss trucks around. Now it's faster, now it's stronger. How soon before it can't be stopped? Superboy. If resolving a situation for him is going to get me out from under these people once and for all, that's a small price to pay for freedom. Release the Superboy. Supergirl. Okay. Giant metal creatures. Falling from the sky. Speaking in clicks and beeps. Father would love this dream. And Superman. You could do so much good. We could do so much good. I am doing good, Lois. Clark's such a loner. Never really lets anyone get close to him. The New 52 Adventures of Superman. Available the first of every month on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com My name is Steve Lacey, and I'm a podcaster. Randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me. Listen, please, is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20-minute long box. The 20 Minute Long Box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. 
Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com, the show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com, or search for 20 Minute Longbox on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. And we're back. And before I start the notes on the show proper, I'd like to mention that I just received an email from one Mr. Charlie Niemeyer, native, well, I don't know, native Oklahoman, but Oklahoman resident and host of the excellent podcast Superman in the Bronze Age. He wrote to tell me that starting June 6th, he'll be having new episodes of Superman in the Bronze Age up, so he wanted to thank me for including his promo in the last show. Charlie, glad to have it in there. Glad to have the show back. In fact, uh, two of the shows that I mentioned last time that were on hiatus for summer break are now back both Pad Smash and Superman in the Bronze Age. So, when you get done listening to this podcast, go check those podcasts out. But before you check those podcasts out, let's go ahead and listen to my review of Green Lantern number 18. Green Lantern number 18 was cover dated November 1991. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and surprisingly, 60 pence UK. So, bumped up 10 pence. The title of the story is One Angry Guy. The writer was Gerard Jones, penciler was Joe Staten, woohoo, inker Art Nichols, letterer Albert Guzman, colorist Matt Hollingsworth, cover art Kevin McGuire and Joe Rubenstein, and in his Green Lantern editorial debut, Mr. Kevin Dooley. The Scene, Justice League Headquarters. The Character, One Guy Gardner. The Emotion, Thunderous Rage. But what would you expect from Guy? especially after he, along with the League members Dr. Light, General Glory, Ice, Martian Manhunter, and Tasmanian Devil just got the word that the United Nations was closing down the Justice League of America. General Glory and Ice try to calm Guy down, but he's having none of it as he storms out of the JLA embassy. Thinking that he's bigger than the League since he's a member of the Green Lantern Corps and THE Green Lantern of Earth, Guy flies over the New York skyline until he's met by Earth's backup Green Lantern, Mort. The canine GL joins Guy as they patrol the city, but all Guy can think of is how the people that he's been with have been wearing him down, making him weak. Of course, this is the perfect time for Nort to mention how much mellower Guy has become. That, of course, sends Guy over the edge as he grabs the pooch and prepares to pump him. But the sad puppy dog eyes of Nort just frustrate Guy and he tosses him aside. Seeing that Guy is mourning the fact that he is losing his edge, Nord suggests they go look for some action. And Guy finds it, in the oncoming comet that is about to hit Earth. Assuring Nord that it's up there and that he needs to go stop it, Guy sends the trusting Terrier into space, bemoaning that he had to use his wits to get rid of Nord. And the real Guy Gardner never used his wits. So, with Nord out of the picture... Guy heads off to find some dignity, to find some trouble. Meanwhile, a mysterious black car drives into the lot where a traveling carnival is setting up. An ominous cloaked figure exits the car and heads toward the fortune teller's tent. Surrounded by Arcana, the fortune teller says she knew that someone was coming to see her and that it was someone she didn't want to see. The cloaked figure then asks what the intuition of Carrie Limbo former Guy Gardner girlfriend has to say about his intentions. 
cut back to Guy, who's had no luck while patrolling the city. After complaining about the lack of criminals to mop up, and the increase of homeless that need to be mopped up, Guy decides to pay a visit to General Gloria to see if he's found any action. But as he enters his apartment from the fire escape, he sees that his apartment room has been changed into a soup kitchen. Frustrated, Guy ponders all the changes that have happened, from Aresia disappearing to Kilowog heading over to the Justice League Europe. Saying that everyone except him has gone soft, Guy heads out again to look for any kind of action. And, in a strange happenstance, Guy finds himself flying over the carnival from the previous scene. Wondering what kind of hunch led him there, Guy walks among the carnival goers until he passes the fortune teller's booth, and realizes that Carrie Limbo is calling him there. Storming into the tent, Guy confronts his former girlfriend, who says that he isn't the guy that she used to know. The guy who was in a coma years ago was a different, kinder man. Guy says that that guy was in voice, and that if he thought another whack on the head would kill the rest of the wussiness, he'd hand her a bad to do. And as Guy yells at Carrie that this is who he is, the mysterious figure steps from the shadows, revealing himself as Goldface. Huh. The villain recounts his imprisonment on Oa, and the release by the old-timer. Editor's note, listen to just one of the guy's episodes once more. No, go ahead, I'll wait. Okay, are, are you back? Okay, good. Go and says he has a proposition for Guy. A lot of the prisoners on Oa have come to Earth, and they're planning on uniting. The one thing they need is a legitimate frontman. One who's in with the superheroes, but willing to work for a crime syndicate. With a little cash flow on the side. Guy tells him this is just what he's been looking for. To which Carrie says she can't believe Guy would go along with Goldface's plan. But the villainous plan isn't exactly what Guy has been looking for. It's someone to beat on. Fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, ensues as Guy uses his body as a missile to take down the yellow armored foe. But before he can remove, remove Goldface's mask to knock him out cold, Guy gets flung into a roller coaster, smashing into pieces. While Goldface is monologuing that Guy's Green Lantern should be saving the innocent, Guy records that they should let their insurance companies worry about it. Guy grabs a roller coaster car and hurls it at Goldface, mowing him down. Goldface rebounds and fires his gold gun, missing Guy, but encasing two innocent children in gold. Guy responds by grabbing a bumper car and wielding it like a flail. As chaos ensues and the carnival goers flee, Goldface's minions attack Guy with yellow rubber bullets, knocking him down. But, much like the Chumbawamba song, he gets knocked down, but he gets up again and beats the stuffing out of Goldface's goons. All is going well until Guy gets a boot to the head. Boot to the head. From Goldface knocking him back again. Knowing that his ring can't affect yellow, and he doesn't know alchemy like how, Guy uses the tried-and-true gardener method to take him down. He grabs a carousel gear and plans to drop it on Goldface. But before he can, Goldface steps in in front of Guy's beam, causing the gear to harmlessly drop behind him. Goldface tells Guy he could have had it all if he had just been reasonable and joined him. But now he will have to die. But before he can... The carousel gear drops on Goldface, and a heroic Nord flies in, asking what they can do to lock this criminal up. Goldface taunts Guy by asking him, 
what his crime was. Guy says that he escaped from an Owen Syed cell. Goldface tells him that he was released by a guardian. Guy then says he smashed the roller coaster. Goldface retorts that he only pushed Guy away after he attacked him without provocation. Guy points to the kids, who were covered in gold. Goldface has dissolved the gold now and says that Guy would have left them to suffocate. Frustrated, Guy says that after finishing him off, he would have found a way to save the kids. But it's too late. Lord says that if Goldface really didn't do anything criminal and Guy did all this damage, then Nort isn't doing his guardian-imposed job of tempering Guy. And with that, Goldface walks off, telling Guy that he should be thankful that he won't press charges for Guy's attack on his employees. Riled, Guy watches his foe walk away, as he's won nothing today. To add insult to injury, Carrie Limbo says the one thing Guy needs to do is to help clean up the carnival. Furious, Guy tells his former love to talk to his assistant, because Guy Gardner doesn't clean up, he just fights. And as he flies off, Carrie and Nort can only feel that the old injury and the old illness is catching up to him, and soon he will be reaching the breaking point. In the final panels, we see Guy walking alone in a darkened alley, saying to beware what you wish for, you just might get it. But now that he's got all that he's ever wanted in life, how long will it be before someone starts making decisions for him? This is another great Guy Gardner character arc that I had actually kind of forgotten about in my memory of the Guy Gardner stories in Green Lantern. I always knew that Guy was a hothead and generally rubbed people the wrong way, but I also knew that Guy essentially was a person who was kind of troubled and was constantly trying to do the right thing, but simply the right thing in the way that he thought. Of course, this basically meant bashing heads and blowing things up, and generally being, yes, for the most part, an obnoxious tool. We've got Guy basically getting everything he's ever wanted in life. He's Green Lantern of Sector 2814, he's a member of the Justice League, but still, he like Rodney Dangerfield, gets no respect from his peers, and also, really, no respect from his loved ones, especially Ice. This is something we'll encounter later in the Guy Gardner series to why his attitude might be like this. But it's a tragic story that, even though Guy has gotten all these things, he's still seeing his world crumble around him, and he's afraid to admit that the one thing that might be the problem causing all this is himself. And with that, let's go ahead and head into notes. The cover of this issue is really kind of a neat one, but really kind of a bland one. It's Kevin McGuire and Joe Rubenstein, who do really great artwork on the Justice League International series, doing a cover uh, kind of aping the Boris Vallejo and Frank Frazetta type paintings that you'd probably see on the side of someone's van, especially if that someone was driving around a van in the 70s and was incredibly cool. It's got the sort of Conan-esque type look where Guy's on top of a mound of his defeated villains with a sword held high in his hand and his woman at his side clinging to his leg. And, of course, you've got Carrie Limbo clinging to his leg. And then underneath him, you've got the defeated bodies. Let's see some of the people here. We've got the shark. (sighs) The shark. Evil Star... 
Black Hand, I see Hector Hammond, Goldface. I'm trying to see if I can see anyone else that I just recognize right at the top. No. But it's it's an interesting idea for a cover. Sadly, it's really poor execution. And the fact that the background is just a sort of teal green haze really doesn't make for the most dynamic cover. If it wasn't for the special breakdowns crossover and Guy Gardner being uh, front and center on the cover, this wouldn't be a cover that would entice me to buy the book. Then on page one, we've got a great state and artwork shot of Guy Gardner just furiously looking at the readers, saying, lousy, lying, cowardly, weenie-brained politicians, internationalists, peaceniks, liberals. Yes, Guy Gardner was the typical stereotype of conservatives at the time, and I'm kind of wondering if maybe Sean Hannity or Glenn Beck ever got a hold of the Guy Gardner comics and kind of based their ideals and opinions off of them. It'd be an interesting find. Page 3, panel 1. As Nort flies in to start patrolling with Guy, his idea of fighting crime includes catching criminals, stopping tidal waves, and chasing cats. (laughs) I love Nort. He is an awesome comic book character, and again, Staten does a great job of depicting him as just a fun-loving dog, with Guy as basically his master. And the dynamic is wonderful. Yes, it's goofy, but Nort, if, if you don't find Nort fun, I question whether or not that you are able to laugh at things. Then, of course, on the same page, panel six, Guy's about to punch Nort, and Nort gives him the face. You know what face it is. The puppy dog face, where it's just looking at you, and it's got that weird anthropomorphic smile, and his tongue's hanging out, and you just can't get mad at a face like that. Again, Staten does a great job of making Nort look enough like an anthropomorphized humanoid being, but just enough as a, of a dog as well. Then page four, panel three, we get a little coloring error here. We've got a picture of Nort telling, or sorry, Guy telling Nort to go fly into space to find the comet, and Nort's flying off, and you see Guy from the backside, and his jacket is colored wrong. It's a sort of brown color rather than green. It may just be a coloring error in the printing, but just a nitpick that I thought I'd point out. Then on the same page, panel 7, I find this to be a humorous callback, I guess, to earlier Guy and his Nord issues. The carnival that's setting up has basically a face of a clown on the side of one of its buildings, and the clown is obviously the Poglachi. Yes, the fake guardians of the universe, who are basically weird clown-like beings, have come and taken over this carnival in the suburbs of New York City. Then page 5, panel 1, one of the signs on the wall for the carnival is a sign for an aerialist named Akron Brand. I think it might be a clever callback to Boston Brand, who in DC continuity is Dead Man, who was also an aerialist, um, much like not Jason Todd, but Dick Grayson, the Robin, the first Robin. I get my characters correct every once in a while. And same page, panel 6. Most of the time you will hear me rave about Joe Staten's artwork. But here in this panel, his drawing of Carrie Limbo, well, it's a bit off. It's a man, baby! 
Well, I might not go that far, but it's not the most attractive woman we'll see in this book. Page 6, panel 4. As Guy is patrolling the city and complaining about the homeless problem and how that if the guardians would let him, he'd mop them all up, we get a look at one of the homeless people, and I don't know whether it's just weird artwork or if this is supposed to be some sort of alien or underworlder, because the homeless person has really weird elven ears and a really bizarre sort of dog-like nose and facial hair that's just whiskers around it. It's an odd-looking design. If it were to be an actual human, it's a pretty weird-looking human. So I don't know if this is a character or a group of characters like the Underworlders in Superman that might be hanging around New York City, but it just looks off. Page 7, pen 1, we get an editor's note, and like I've said before, I love editor's note, and this one is for JLA issue 56, where we find out that Guy's apartment room has been turned into a soup kitchen by General Glory. Man, I need to go pick up these issues. Back when I was collecting comics around this time, I didn't start with the Giffen de Mateus Justice League. I started picking up Justice League, well, when Superman came in. And that was the time that Dan Jurgens took over the book, and the book was given more of a serious tone, rather than the sort of light-hearted and oftentimes goofy tone that Giffen and De Mateus did with this book. So, unfortunately, I missed out on a lot of these issues, but I have been trying to collect them in trade, and unfortunately, they're just not up to these area, the breakdowns issues yet. Page 8, we get Guy landing at the carnival, and we've got some really stereotypical carnival-going people. We've got a typical bushy-haired Italian stereotype with the wife beater and the horrible beer gut saying, Hey, Mira, one of those Green Lanterns, eh? Well, I guess not Italian, I guess he's Hispanic. And then his red-headed girlfriend says, It's the cute one, and of course, redheads would find other redheads skewed. And then, of course, a stereotypical... Looks like Eddie Murphy's character from the PJ says, No, man, it's just the white one. Ah, uh, veiled racism. It's fun. And then on the same page, in the... Well, it's basically panel three, but it's an inset panel. We get one of the faceless person's minions telling him he's here... And he's talking on the dinkiest cell phone ever. I mean, it's kind of humorous how people in the 90s thought that technology would shrink down to micro size. And we'd have these little tiny, what looks like almost, you know, Bluetooth earphone size cell phones rather than the giant box cell phones they had at the time. It's kind of goofy. Then on page 9, we get Guy encountering Carrie and... Carrie certainly is pining for Guy, but it's the old guy. The guy of basically Emerald Dawn 2, who was, yes, angry, but was also a caring, compassionate person. And the coma and being locked in the Phantom Zone and being tortured by Zod has obviously changed him, and we're seeing the after effects of it play out here in this comic. And then on page 10, we get the dramatic reveal of the mysterious figure, and it's... Goldface. (laughs) 
Yeah, Green Lantern didn't have the variety of villains that, say, Batman has. But thankfully, at least it's not Black Hand or the Shark. So, it's got that going for it. Page 11, we get a nice flashback sequence showing what the Guardian, or the Mad Guardian, did on Oa, releasing all the prisoners, or killing all the prisoners in the science cells. I'd probably stay tuned to Green Lantern's Light, hosted by J. David Weeder, Michael Bradley, and Jeffrey Taylor, in order to find out more about this storyline. And then, because my synopsis was pretty long, I'm just not going to do page-by-page notes, just kind of cover the entire fight sequence, basically saying that Goldface pretty much knows that he's goading Guy into the fight, and he's trying to make Guy out to be the one who's destroying and maiming everyone. And Of course, in the end, you know, Goldface can walk away scot-free because he really hasn't done anything. He didn't escape from a prison cell. He didn't cause all the damage. Guy did. And, even though he encased some people in gold, and probably they would have died, he was kind enough to release them because, actually, he was shooting at Guy. And it really does make Guy look like, well, an incompetent. And I think that's kind of what Goldface was going for. He's humiliated Guy. He's brought him down, and Guy realizes that he wasn't the hero this time. And that's plainly evidence on page 20, panel 4, the inset panel, where Staten just draws this look of Guy in his face with his eyebrows raised and his eyes wide open, looking at all the chaos that's happened. He realizes that if it weren't for him, none of this would have happened. It's a point in the story where you would hope that Guy would realize that the path he's taking might not be the best one. And finally, page 22, panel 7, we get Manhattan and the shadows and a moon hanging over it and guys walking down a darkened street with a lamppost silhouetting in the background saying, Yeah, I hear you, Ma. Beware of getting what you wish for. All I wanted was to be Green Lantern of Earth. And I got it. And it ain't what I wanted. But I gotta do something. So... What is there? I gotta make some decisions, or somebody else makes them for me. It's a point in Guy Gardner's life which is probably one of his lowest. He doesn't, his world is collapsing around him, and he doesn't really know what to do. And unfortunately, because he's Guy Gardner and he has isolated so many people from him, he's pretty much all alone. It's a really tragic part of the Guy Gardner storyline, and unfortunately, things don't get much better from here. Well, at least for the character of Guy Gardner, things don't get much better. But what does get better, horrible segue aside, is the fact that we are ready to look at ads. And we've got a few really good ones in this comic, so let's go take a look. And on the inside cover, we get the advertisement for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Again, we covered this. This is the NES version. Plus, they're also having... Who is it with the size? Is that Donatello? No, Raphael. He's the one with the sigh. Michelangelo's got the swords, Donatello's got the bow, and Leonardo's got the nunchaku, or nunchucks, whatever you want to call them. We've covered this before. It's not a port of the arcade game, but I remember it being a decent game. But a few pages in, we get an awesome promo poster of the USS Enterprise, NCC-1701A, flying over what looks to be an odd-looking planet... But when you take a look at it again, it's actually the face of a Klingon. And this is an advertisement for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. 
coming out Stardate 12-13-91. Star Trek VI is kind of an underrated Star Trek movie. It was the last of the original series, Star Trek, well, at least the one that focused mostly on the original series characters, and it was kind of overshadowed at the time by the Next Generation crew being really popular. But do not discount it. It is a fun movie with some really great political intrigue and basically does a good job of bridging the gap between the original series and Next Generation. In my opinion, more so than the Star Trek Generations movie did. The next page, we get Bobby Warren and Eric Lindros join school's winning team. Yes, as you'd expect, it's an advertisement for sports cards, this time score hockey cards. Wee. Then later on we get an ad for over 250 million lives will be saved. And no, this isn't an ad for an anti-smoking campaign. This is an ad for the Game Genie. Now, if you guys don't know this, before we had CD-ROM and now DVD and Blu-ray systems for our video games, we used to have cartridge-based systems. And the games also happened to be incredibly impossible to play, and sometimes incredibly impossible to finish at times. So, what this company Gloob did was they made a Game Genie, which allowed you to input codes into the game, which gave you unlimited lives, or invulnerability, or infinite uh, ammo. It was basically a way to cheat code your way out of the game. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But it's an interesting piece of nostalgia that I thought I'd point out to you guys. Page after that, we get the East Coast Comics page that gives the pricing guide for all of the comics that they're selling at the time. And then, in the middle of the book, we get a big two-page splash of Slam, Wham, Jam, Fleer basketball cards, including such great players as Dominic Wilkins, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Rez Chapman. Plus, if you want, they also have uh, trading cards for the coaches. Ooh, collect those. I don't mean to be snarky about this. I mean, if you enjoyed collecting baseball and basketball cards at the time, I don't mean to demean or diminish it. It just isn't for me. And since I'm doing this podcast and I'm the one talking about all it, I'm going to tell you that it's not for me. Then, of course, again, we get the hodgepodge page with the live chameleon, the building muscles, and drawing superheroes. Not much new on this one this time out. But a few pages on, we get a great ad saying, Tough enough for TV land? Superman, the building leaping man of steel, whose single-minded pursuit saves the planet daily, tirelessly fights for truth, justice, and the American way, every night on Nick at Night. And then it says all of this in tights. And you've got a picture of the George Reeves Superman from the Adventures of Superman TV show from the 1950s. And it says, watch the Adventures of Superman. Check your local local cable listings. Now, nowadays, Nick at Night is pretty much a stable of late-night TV. If you wanted to watch, you know, shows that were, well, nowadays, it's shows that were in the 80s, played on cable, you'd go to Nick at Night. Prior to that, you had to go to your local UHF stations, or when cable started coming out, stations like WGN out of Chicago and WTBS out of Atlanta would play these 1950s and 1960s sitcoms, including I Dream of Jeannie, Gilligan's Island, The Addams Family, and whatnot. 
it wasn't until Nick at Night, which was a late-night shoot offshoot of Nickelodeon, came around that these shows found their own little niche habitat. And it's good to know that for a time being, Nick at Night was carrying the Adventures of Superman serial. Well, the Adventures of Superman TV show. Serialized TV show. Hopefully you know what I meant. The letters page this time around really doesn't have any interesting letters to read, but it does have a nice piece of, well, artwork and an ad for the Aquaman series coming in October. And you've got a picture of Arthur in his typical Aquaman suit with, unfortunately, the sort of longer, almost mulleted hairstyle that was prevalent in comics in the 90s. Getting ready to punch out some orange-suited undersea diver. It's an interesting cover, but sadly I think Aquaman really didn't survive all that long in this series. Then on the back ad, we get another ad for Smash TV, the uh, NES port of the coin-op game. And the back panel, we get the hideously drawn Ultimate Warriors or, sorry, not Ultimate Warriors, Road Warriors for WCW World Championship Wrestling for the NES. Sorry, but if it doesn't have Hulk Hogan or Rowdy Roddy Piper, I'm just not all that interested. But that's it for ads. Let me go ahead and tell you that this time around, if you want to get this comic in reprint, you're going to be out of luck, because... DC, in their wisdom, has decided not to reprint these comments. It's sad, but unfortunately, it's a running theme. Well, I hope you guys will be returning next week, because next week is the 50th anniversary, at least that's what they tell us, of Green Lantern. And we're going to be covering a story that covers the three Green Lanterns, Guy Gardner, Hal Jordan, and Jon Stewart, on a mission to go find Earth's original Green Lantern. Alan Scott. It'll be an interesting issue, especially now that we know about Alan Scott and the new DCU. So, come back next week for a gay old episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. And by gay, I mean fun. Not... Never mind. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyright the respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to know it. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account, at just one of the guys podcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at just one of the guys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L I B S Y N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scans the covers and whatever else I feel like. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. And make sure you leave a review there. I'd love to read it on the air. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you can find me on Facebook because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, 
you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was Fooling Yourself, Angry Young Man by Styx, one of my dad's favorite bands, which shows my daddy is such a goofball. You can go to iTunes and download the song. You can go to Two True Freaks website Click on the Amazon banner at the top of the page and download the song or get the CD from there. You will be helping out Uncle Scott and Uncle Chris who are who really are not related to me at all. Sorry.